As we said, we're in a series of big stories. We looked at creation. We looked at Noah. We looked at Joseph. We looked at Moses. And this week now, we come to Balaam. A lesser-known story, I'm sure, but as I said before, it was my favorite as a kid, so we're going to do it. And besides, who doesn't love talking donkeys? Like all the stories we've been looking at, this is, on the surface, kind of a strange tale. Maybe seems catered especially for children because of the imagery and the characters, but yet underneath, it's so much more. So, because it may be unfamiliar to you, I want to jump right to the story. As we open God's word, do whatever you need to, to listen well, to pay attention, sit up a little straighter, focus in, to hear the word of the Lord for you this morning. So listen with me. The Israelites set out and camped in the plains of Moab across the Jordan from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were so numerous. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as an ox licks up the grass of the field. Now Balak, son of Zippor, was king of Moab at that time. And he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Baor at Pethor, on the Euphrates in the land of Ammah, to summon him, saying, A people has come out of Egypt and spread over the face of the earth and have now settled next to me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they're stronger than I. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from this land, for I know that whomever you bless is blessed And whomever you curse is cursed. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the officials of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his servants were with him. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, so the donkey turned off the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow place between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scraped against the wall and scraped Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck it again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood at a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. But the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? He said, No. 
Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down, falling on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? I've come out as an adversary because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away from me, surely I would have killed you and let it live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know that you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, therefore, if it's displeasing to you, I will return home. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you to speak. So Balaam went on with the officials of Balak. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Kind of a strange story, right? The kid's lesson is often do what God tells you or a talking donkey may have to save you from certain death. <clears throat> Which wasn't for me a deterrent at all. It actually sounded kind of awesome, right? Because again, who doesn't love talking animals? It sounds like a great story to be a part of. <clears throat> this morning, though, I want to invite you, as hard as it may be, to look past the donkey. We're going to talk about two other characters in this story, Balaam and then the angel. But I want to begin with Balaam. So to do that, we're going to paint a bit of the picture. Israel has come out of slavery in Egypt. They've wandered through the wilderness. They've come to the edge of the promised land. And they are so large that all the kings around are starting to get nervous. This king in particular, a man named Balak, which is nice and confusing. There's a Balaam and a Balak. Balak is the king, and he calls this, mess, this guy named Balaam, who seems to be a prophet or a seer or a man of God of some sort, to come and curse the Israelites. They're larger than him. He's scared of them. Maybe if they're cursed by this holy man, he'll be able to defeat them if they attack. Now, I cut out a little bit of the story for time's sake, but what I skipped is essentially this. Balaam says, wait overnight and I'll pray. He asks God, the God of Israel, mind you. He seems to know Israelites' God somehow. And God says, don't go. So he wakes up in the morning and says, sorry, I'm not going to go. The king is angry, sends them all back, sends some more important people with them, promises, basically, name your price and I will pay it for you to come and to do this. So Balaam again prays. He says, first, no, even if you gave me a house filled with silver and gold, I wouldn't go, but goes and prays. And God says, well, you know, go anyway. Just only do what I tell you to do. And so he sets off and leaves. And that's where we pick the story back up with Balaam leaving and God now getting angry about it, sending out the angel of the Lord to stand against Balaam as an adversary in the road. So it's important to pause and think about why God is angry at Balaam. He told Balaam he could go, so why is he now angry that he went? There's a way to read the story that has all of Balaam's responses as clever negotiating tools. When he says, not even a house filled with silver and gold would allow me to go and say what God has not said, there's a thought that he's actually maybe naming his price, or at least setting the bar for the negotiations. It's going to need to be more than that. At the very least, it seems like he's leaving with the hopes of being able to do two things. 
obey God and make some money on the side. That on the surface, he's being faithful to God and following what God says. But that underneath, something about his motivation must be wrong. That there's greed in his heart. And that that heart remains unconverted. So in holy anger, God sends the angel of the Lord against him three times. Each time, Balaam unable to see it. The deep irony, of course, is that the donkey sees the angel and the seer, the holy man, doesn't. And yet three times, Balaam continues to want to go in his own path until finally his eyes are opened. He sees the angel. He falls on his face. He sees his sin and admits it and turns around. Which means this is a conversion story. Although in reality, Balaam already knew God, so this isn't the first time Balaam is coming to follow the God of Israel. He's turning again. It's the story of that conversion going deeper into his heart and deeper into his heart, which means this is actually a sanctification story. The story of a follower of God growing in holiness, of how God works in us that we might die to our sin and more fully follow Jesus. And it's a story that began where most of us are. Balaam setting out to follow God on the surface, but underneath, parts of his heart are still unconverted. He seeks to serve two masters, which Jesus says is never possible. In reality, he's serving the master of greed and paying God lip service. Becoming so blinded by that greed, he can't even see God when God shows up to stand in front of him. God needs to open Balaam's eyes for Balaam to see his sin. And as soon as he sees it, he immediately turns around admitting it, admitting he is wrong, that he has not been following God, and his heart is changed. And this is what sanctification looks like in our lives, too. We are blind to our own sin, We've been forgiven in Christ. We've been welcomed into the family. And yet the Holy Spirit continues to work to make us more holy. And that journey of sanctification is made up of countless episodes like this story of Balaam and his donkey. Where God places something in our path to show us a piece of our sin that we have not previously seen. Maybe greed Maybe jealousy, maybe pride, maybe self-reliance or sloth, maybe anger or resentment, maybe entitlement. The task of sanctification is to come to see that sin, to admit it to God and turn away from it, to follow God more wholeheartedly. And we'll talk in a minute about what that looks like. But before we go there, we need to turn and look at the angel. Is that what you've been waiting for, Luna? Yeah? The angel the angel's a little odd too, isn't it? God's angry with Balaam for going and doing this, so God goes through all the effort of sending the angel of the Lord, not just some random angel, the angel of the Lord, sword drawn, to come and kill Balaam. But God doesn't send the angel out to hunt Balaam down. This isn't predator, although that's how I would like to envision it. He simply puts the angel in Balaam's way. And God doesn't just put the angel in Balaam's way like a landmine waiting to go off, but for some reason, God lets the donkey see the angel. And God doesn't just let the donkey see the angel. He makes the way wide enough that the donkey can just go around it. 
The first time off into a field. The second time scraping against a wall to get around. And the third time with no room to dodge, the donkey just drops to dead weight. By the way, we have a 50-pound golden doodle who does the same thing when we want him to do something he doesn't want to do, just drops to dead weight. It's surprisingly effective. (laughs) You, You can't drag him. And that's just a dog. God is angry with Balaam. But for some reason, Balaam can avoid the angel, can just go around it. And the angel continues to meet him on the road, not seeking him out, just meeting him. And as time goes on, as Balaam presses on in his own way, it just gets more and more and more difficult to avoid. The path narrows and narrows and narrows. It's strange, isn't it? And I think it's strange because we often assume that God can either be a God of judgment and anger and punishment and justice, or God can be a God of grace and mercy and love and acceptance. And we view these things as mutually exclusive. But our God is both. Our God is both judgment and love, justice and mercy all together. And while that's hard for us to imagine, we catch a glimpse of it here in this story. For the angel of the Lord shows up in Balaam's path, sword drawn, and that sword is double-edged. Judgment and mercy. The judgment part's obvious, it's a sword. So let's talk about the mercy part. There's mercy in the forbearance. In the fact that the angel doesn't seek Balaam out, but just stands in the way. The forbearance is God's patience. That God bears the judgment and holds back for a little while. This is mercy. Not getting what is deserved. But there's more. Because while the drawn sword can kill Balaam, it can also warn and turn back. It can also deter him from continuing in a path that leads to death. And in that sense, too, the sword is mercy. It is the way in which God turns Balaam around. For the truth is that God's often in our road, seeking to turn us back. That there are wake-up calls given to us every day if we just have the eyes to see them. And God begins in our lives the same way God began in Balaam's story. Minimal force required. Small nudges. The comment of a friend. A stray thought. A chance encounter. A word from scripture. But as we ignore God in our path, it gets more and more difficult to avoid. And it may go on for months, it may go on for decades. God meeting us in our path to turn us around, us ignoring God and continuing on. Someday, though, we will come to the angel in the road. Now, I don't want to suggest that all suffering in our life is God just trying to get your attention. I don't want to spiritualize and trivialize anything difficult in your life. But God's mercy is strange. God is relentless in God's pursuit of us. And God is in the habit of using all sorts of things to wake us up and to turn us around, to open our eyes to pieces of our heart that remain unconverted, places of our lives where sin still thrives. I think of my friend Keith, 
in this church who can now admit that he first felt the call to ministry as a teenager, only to chase after wealth and greed instead. That there were so many nudges along the way he simply ignored until he ran smack into the angel of the Lord, not once but twice. The first time, in the wake of the devastating loss of a child, his heart broke and returned here to church. The second time, through incarceration, he came to truly face what was in his own heart and now turn back into the path to ministry. I think of my friend Doug, who refused to answer the call of God's mercy and grace because he wanted to look like he had it all together, like he was good, all on his own. He played the part here of a perfect church member for years, ignoring God's nudges, as well as the growing anxiety and depression that caused until things reached a fever pitch. And staring into the eyes of that angel, Doug admitted his need and fell into the arms of God's grace, which came first by way of hospitalization and have led from there into deeper and more authentic and abundant life. God is always nudging and calling us back. God is in the road waiting to meet us. And if we pay close enough attention to the details of this story, we can find some help in how to notice God in the path before we get to that drawn sword so we can avoid playing chicken with God. And so if we want to continue along in this way of sanctification, then here are three things we find in this story to guide us as we go. The first is I think we should pray for God to open our eyes. What's clear is that Balaam's vision wasn't enough. Even though he's a prophet, a seer, a man of God, he is blind. Blind to his sin and blind to God. One of the more terrifying things to realize is that there are things about you that you don't even know you don't know. And so we pray for God to shine a light, to show us ourselves This is why we engage in spiritual practices like contemplative prayer, fasting, examine. They're postures we take in order to hear God, in order that our eyes might be opened, that we might see God standing in our path and see what God has come to show us. We never arrive in the Christian life. And in fact, the greatest saints are often those who see their own sin most keenly the best place to begin is to pray for God to open our eyes. But once we do that, we need to actually look. Once God opens the eyes of Balaam, he actually has to see the angel, and when he does, he falls on his face. It likely won't be that obvious for you. So we need to cultivate some curiosity. As God opens our eyes and we start to notice things in our lives, we have to create space to wonder about what God is trying to show us. Here's an example. On Friday, I got up early and took our dog, Finn, on a run. And it was the worst run we have ever had together. He was constantly dragging behind me. So I would slow down, and he would slow down further, and I'd slow down, and he'd slow down further, and we'd walk. And then he would try to run and drag me. And this went on for about two miles until I was just done. I honestly considered, if we were having a Balaam moment, if there was something there I didn't see that he did, but he never talked, and no angel ever showed up, so we're fine. 
what did happen, though, was I got angry. Like, angry, angry. Pissed, raging, angry. Completely unproportionate response to what was happening. And so I've taken time since then to, to wonder, what's that about? Where's that coming from? What's going on inside me? What might God be trying to show me? What might need to be brought into the light? I don't know yet. But I'm staying curious and wondering about what is going on inside there. We need to get curious too. To notice these roadblocks or nudges as they come into our lives, these wake-up calls like the donkey did. And be curious about what God is trying to show us in them praying for God to open our eyes, looking and being curious when our eyes are opened. And then finally, we need to take action. When Balaam's eyes are opened, he sees the angel. He immediately admits his sin, his brokenness, and turns around to follow God. This actually takes quite a bit of humility to turn, to admit we need something more than we have. Which is why each week we practice this. We come to seek renewal, to offer our sin and our brokenness to God, that we might receive God's grace more deeply. We come to die to sin in order that we might rise to Christ. There's something very powerful in naming sin, bringing it into the light, which breaks its hold on us. When our eyes are opened, when God shows us the places in our lives that still need to be converted and sanctified, we need to take action. We need to bring them into the light in a community of believers and then turn around. We can't just keep going down the same path over and over and over again. Dodging the angel, dodging the angel, dodging the angel. At some point, there's a sword. So where is the angel in your path? What's the wake-up call sounding in your life this morning? Where is God inviting you to turn? As we come to the waters of baptism, we come to celebrate that God has claimed us as God's own before we knew anything of it. That in these waters, we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus from all the sin that is in our lives. But as we come, we also come to celebrate the Holy Spirit that's poured out into us daily to renew us and to cleanse us. So let's join that fight. Let's turn around in order to follow God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Amen? Amen. Amen.